This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to be sharing our impressions on what is arguably a contender for Game of the Year so far, Elden Ring. But for that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ofnil Ting and Daryl Ong. Thank you, Hanif. Let's start with the news with a quick look at Hogwarts Legacy, which is the highly anticipated Harry Potter game that was finally showcased at last week's Sony State of Play. Every corridor, every portrait, every stone in this castle tells the story of witches and wizards who came before. Here you will meet lifelong friends and grow into your own magical abilities in the classrooms of the world's most talented professors. And while your journey begins at Hogwarts, brewing potions, taming fantastic beasts, and mastering spells, there is a larger world beyond these walls. Avalanche Software and Portkey Games showcase 14 minutes of the in-game footage captured on the PS5, a game that's set in the late 1800s, long before the events we see in the books. We highly recommend you check out the State of Play video to absorb everything, but suffice to say that the game will play out your Hogwarts fantasy. Essentially, you get to be a student and do all the things associated with being a student in Hogwarts, from attending classes to riding on a broomstick to exploring all the hidden passageways in Hogwarts and dwelling with other wizards, of course, as well as fighting evil. This game does look promising, we have to say, and uh, it's set to be released this year on all major platforms, including the Switch, but we do not have an exact release date yet, except that they are aiming for the holiday season. Yeah, look out for that. Moving on, Gran Turismo 7, a game that we spoke about last week on the program, landed in hot soup after not being playable for close to 30 hours due to server issues and the game's design that requires it to be always connected to the internet. That alone has triggered gamers, but the latest update also showcased an ugly aspect of modern gaming, microtransactions. While the series have gravitated towards including microtransactions these days, the manner in which it went with this game's microtransactions has pissed off a lot of gamers. Well, basically some cars, especially the fancier ones, are priced in-game at such a large amount, making it highly difficult and almost impossible to grind. Essentially, they're nudging you towards paying for it with real-life money, and they charge you upwards of even 40 US dollars per car. Well, that's ridiculous and uh, to show their displeasure towards a game that's otherwise a return to form for the series, a lot of gamers have review-bombed the game on Metacritic. The game now has a score of 2.1 on the platform with critics' score at 87. Hmm. Polyphony Digital and game designer Kazunori Yamauchi responded to the downtime by attributing it to a glitch and has said that the high-priced microtransactions for the car was meant to reflect in the commerce real-world value of the cars. To no one's surprise, that did not go down well at all with gamers. 
But he did ask for patience and hope that gamers can give them some time to sort things out on their end. Yeah, kind of sad that this has happened. A lot of fans are a bit disappointed considering how well the core game and gameplay mechanics are, especially with fans waiting for such a long time for this game to be released. Oh well, what's modern gaming without controversies of this nature, right? Okay, on to the next bit of news. Publisher giant EA has revealed that they will not be hosting their summer event EA Play this year. Yeah, traditionally EA Play is scheduled to take place in the summer uh, alongside other major events including E3. But according to IGN, they will not be having one in 2022. Instead, in a statement to the gaming website, EA said that they'll be revealing future projects when the time comes for each of them rather than consolidating everything on one date. That's right. EA Play has been around since 2016 after EA decided to break away from E3 and while it has always been a live event, they had to change it to live streaming last year due to the pandemic. And now, with EA cancelling their event, this summer is going to be interesting considering that E3 has also cancelled its in-person event. That leaves only Jeff Knightley's Summer Game Fest as one of the big-name events that is still happening in person this year, pending confirmation from Microsoft and other big-name publishers. Yeah, regardless, this was a bit of a bummer for us who like big events to enjoy announcements, but with a more decentralised approach, perhaps you'll get news all year round. Maybe that's better. Lastly, Games to TV adaptation continues with a slew of announcements from the past week. First up, the live-action Resident Evil series featuring Lance Reddick, Ilya Balinska, Tamara Smart and Sienna Agudong, among others, will be released on the 14th of July. The series will feature Jade Wesker and will take place in the year 2036. If you're a follower of the series, perhaps the name Wesker will be familiar to you. Jade and her sister Billy are daughters of Albert Wesker, which will be played by Lance Reddick, most recently seen voicing Silence in Horizon Forbidden West, but he also voiced Zavala for those Destiny fans out there. Of course, if you're a fan of the HBO TV show The Wire, Lance Reddick played the beloved Cedric Daniels. But yeah, be on the lookout for this Resident Evil live-action series. On top of that, Netflix also announced Tekken Bloodline, an animated series based on that famous fighting game series from Namco. This is also scheduled to be released this year. Alongside the poster, Netflix has released a teaser trailer and as expected, the series will focus on Jin Kazama, a central character in the Tekken storyline. Alongside Jin Kazama, other characters that appeared in the trailer so far are Heihachi Mishima, Jun Kazama, Paul Phoenix, Ogre, Kazuya Mishima, Leroy Smith and wrestler King. Surprisingly, this is not the first time Tekken has explored other platforms as we were reminded of a live-action film adaptation in 2009 and an animated film called Tekken Blood Vengeance in 2011. Yeah, interesting follow-up and revival of the series that's yet to have a new game iteration since 2015 with Tekken 7. So will this Netflix series be a precursor for them announcing a new game? Let's wait and see. Last but not least, rounding up our video game adaptation, we have reports that indicate that a Plague's Tale TV series is currently in development with French director Mathieu Turi, known for his role as assistant director to Quentin Tarantino for Inglorious Bastards, confirming that he'll be working on the adaptation. A Plague Tale is an action-adventure series set in a medieval fantasy world. The first game, A Plague Tale Innocence, was released in 2019 and its sequel, A Plague Tale Requiem, will be released sometime this year. Based on reports, the showrunners are planning to adapt the show closer to the game, so we'll see how that's going to turn out. Overall, video game to TV adaptation seems to be going strong, with all these announcements alongside recent releases like the Halo TV series as well.
And yeah, we're asking you what's your favorite video game to TV adaptation. Share with us your thoughts by writing in to ggwellplayed at bfm.my. We'd love to hear from you. All right, that's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. By now, I'm sure most of you have heard of how well Elden Ring is doing, be it via reviews from gaming publications that are, for the most part, pretty unanimous in their praise for how great the game is, or via sales where Elden Ring has sold 12 million copies so far. While the game is doing pretty well, we have to admit that from software games intimidate the hell out of us. Mostly because we're not that kind of gamers, the get-good kind that's willing to rise to the challenge one by one and over and over again. But the Elden Ring hype is too big to ignore and therefore we've decided to give the game a go. It was pretty tough, we have to say, uh, but to get a clearer picture of why this game is considered great, we speak to someone who has spent quite a considerable time on the game. Here's Ong Kajin. Um, I am 127 hours in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard on, on online that some people complete the game in like 60 and 80 hours, but I have played like double that and I'm nowhere near completing. I don't think, I think I'm probably only like 60% the way through. <laughs> Alright, 60%, but that's still a good number. And I think, uh, I guess you're the right person to talk about Elden Ring. So Elden Ring is like the highly anticipated game. A lot of people have been talking about it. It's the, I guess, latest game from, from software. Were you actually quite hype up about the game, uh, even prior to the game's release? Yeah, I mean, I had played Bloodborne, um, which to me was... Wow, I mean that that was a commitment because I, I think as as you know, um, FromSoft has a huge reputation of making very punishing games, very difficult games. But I always felt that the worlds that FromSoft had built were quite monotone, very drab. They 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 picked very depressing kind of grey worlds. And so when I think I saw the gameplay for Elden Ring. I also heard that, like, you know, George R. R. Martin was involved in building the mythos of the Elden Ring. Um, uh, what I was struck by Elden Ring was, one, uh, that it's open world as opposed to the old formula of uh, linear levels. And the second part that really struck me was how vibrant and colourful and varied the world looked as opposed to the previous FromSoft games. And that got me really excited because, you know, the, there are moments of beauty and serenity in the game that where you look at a scenery and you're like wow this is gorgeous um aside from all the oh my god i am getting you know pummeled by this terrifying beast right yeah the beasts are still i think consistent right in terms of the design um horrific uh monstrous and downright i guess sometimes quite punishing like you said right yeah Oh, you, you've played a bit of it, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we've spoken about this game multiple times, but I think uh, the general consensus, at least among the people in, in the company, is that most of us have never played any Soulsborne game. And we were like, while, while we were initially quite excited about Elden Ring, we decided that, okay, maybe after speaking to a bunch of people who gave us a bit of advice in terms of, you know, playing a Soulsborne game, yeah, they said that, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a game worth playing, but I guess you need to know you need to know what you're getting into, I suppose. And if it's, you know, if it's not your <laughs> cup of tea, maybe you shouldn't play. But I mean, mm. and, and this is something that we've been talking about as well, but I guess based on the reviews that, that have come out um, about the game, I think it's, it's something that, and because people have said that it has, it has 
I, I guess it's game changing, right? One way or another. I, I think I decided to, I guess, give it a try. And true enough, <laughs> it's not as easy. Um, it's definitely different, different from the kind of games that I've played before. And especially considering that I'm actually playing Horizon Forbidden West right now, you can immediately tell that there's a huge difference in terms of how they approach open world even, right? So so that's that's pretty interesting on my end. Um, and yes, true enough, I think I, I upon reaching Limgrave, I decided to uh, confront the very first boss that you can see just like below the cliff, right? Uh, Tree Sentinel and rightfully, yeah, uh, I got my butt kicked. <laughs> yep, and, yep, and, yep. and all while trying to, I guess, understand the controls as well, which I think is a bit different. And the game allows you to just walk around and explore the world as you see fit, but there's definitely no hand-holding, direct hand-holding as far as I can tell. So it's definitely a new experience for me, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, speaking about what, what you're saying about how the open world is designed differently, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people's most favourite memory of gaming is Skyrim, right? So, and the joy of Skyrim was you would walk in some random direction and suddenly stumble upon something that you're like, oh my god, wow, I just uh, I just found this cool thing that I just was walking randomly. Um, and that was the joy and the magic of Skyrim back in those days. And I think um, since then, you know, the, so, uh, there's been a craze for the open world formula. I think most notably like, you know, Ubisoft, so the whole like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry um, series. But what has happened, I think, is that you know, in the name of accessibility, uh, you know, you you get an entire map that's visible to you. You can see every single thing there is to do. All the icons populate the map. And I think at some point, uh, for me at least, it felt like a chore. It, it felt like there was less mystery in the world. And I think what Elden Ring has brought back for me, and I think this is sort of similar to how I felt about uh, Breath of the Wild, um, which is that the fact that they didn't put icons all over the map made me feel the need to look in every corner and actually be surprised when I found something. And I think that's what Elden Ring has done in this segment that really has impressed people to no end. I mean, everyone knew that it's a FromSoft game. Everyone expected the combat and the mechanics and the boss designs, the enemy designs to be top-notch. This is what they're known for. But I think what came by a huge surprise for many, many people was the breadth and depth of the open world and how magical the exploration feels in the game. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Um, Okay, for listeners out there who are not as familiar with, with I guess, what Breath of the Wild did differently, uh, maybe you can help also explain to them, like, you know, what is it that's so unique about Breath of the Wild and how... Elden Ring sort of like, I guess, um, expand on, 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 on that uniqueness, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, um, you know as, as mentioned before, you know, open worlds became this kind of like checklist, like, oh my God, there are like 50, 100 icons and I have to like do all of them. And what people hate, started hating was that, you know, if you see this kind of icon, you know exactly what to expect. It's just the same thing again and again, except in slightly different locales. I think what Breath of the Wild did well was two things, right? One is they made an open world where it actually felt mysterious to explore, that you actually didn't know where you were going sometimes, and you would ran, you know, go off in a random direction and find something you didn't expect, which you know the icons didn't help with. But I think the second thing that Legend of Zelda did well 
was they provided you with player freedom in the sense that they gave you a toolbox and you know you could use that in in ways that were incredibly um unexpected you know um i think one very famous example is like the sort of like time stopping um power that you have in legend of zelda and a lot of people what they would do is you know they would stop time and you know like whack a ball or something with with a huge club and when they unstopped time you know the ball would go flying away and send them in strange and crazy directions so that that's the kind of player freedom i think that people and sense of exploration that people really enjoyed and i think that's what elden ring has done as well um this is by far you know one of the biggest and most it's not just big in skill i just can't go anywhere without finding something unexpected or finding something new to do it's not just the the how big the world is it's it's how dense it is that surprises me and i think similar to sort of legend of zelda um what they've done is they've provided an incredible toolbox of different ways you can play the game and i think that's what what's so freeing for for a lot of players That was Ong Ka Jin sharing his impressions of Elden Ring from software's latest IP that has taken the gaming world by storm. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. You're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. The Fallen Leaves Tell a story The great Elden Ring Was shattered In our home Across the fall The lands between. Now, Queen Marika the Eternal is nowhere to be found. And in the night of the Black Knives, Godwin the Golden was first to perish. Soon, Marika's offspring, demigods all, claimed the shards of the Elden Ring. Ong Ka Jin joins me on the show to share his impressions of Elden Ring. We're going to continue our chat by looking at the differences between Elden Ring and other From Software games. Your previous experience uh, playing from software game was Bloodborne, right? And Bloodborne is a linear game. I, I guess it's a bit more straightforward. Whereas Elden Ring is, is an open world game. They're both okay. They're both punishing. But what's the difference between the two in, in terms of, like for example, is is Bloodborne's game design a bit more, I guess, forgiving in in the earlier part of the game because you're just start starting out, or like and and what about Elden Ring? You know, how do you how do you get players to to uh, try to survive? Um, the earlier parts of the game 
assuming assuming that there is an earlier part of the game you know is there any form of linearity um, as you start the game first because I'm I'm like very early in the beginning and I already encountered you know a very difficult boss in fact two of them three sentinel and the, and the other one so I was just wondering whether you know there's a quote unquote canonical path that I, I need to I guess choose in order to successfully and safely uh, navigate the, the early part of the game yeah um, I think um, so like you mentioned Bloodborne has sort of stages so to speak like, not not officially but you know there are areas um, that you need to progress into and you have to beat a certain boss before you can move on to another area and I think um, with Bloodborne I actually found Bloodborne way more punishing um, because if you can't figure out a certain boss and if you can't change your pattern of play at a certain boss you can't really grind your way through it and there is a kind of certain way of playing in Bloodborne that you have to learn. So in Bloodborne, um, you know, the way you need to play is you need to be aggressive, you need to interrupt enemy attacks so that you can score critical hits, and um, you know, and you have to learn how to parry essentially. Whereas with um, you know, Elden Ring, I mean Yes, there is a very, very tough boss at the, that presents itself to you at the very beginning of the game, but it's completely optional. You can actually progress through the entire storyline without ever fighting that boss that presents itself to you uh, in the very beginning. Um, and and so, you know, there's a lot more freedom in, in the game. In fact, for me, I only beat that boss after the boss that you're talking about, the, the tree knight that presents itself at the very beginning, after beating, uh, I think, five other bosses. And even then, I found that boss difficult. <laughs> so so if, if, you're, if you're dying to it and you've not explored the world at all, um, this is the natural state of the world. Um, I only know some very stubborn Dark Souls veterans who are like, no, I must figure out this boss, you know, that, that they... They, they 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 just absolutely bang their head against the wall until they figure it out. But everyone else I know, they sort of, you know, they just move on and explore the world, get better weapons, level up, uh, maybe learn some new spells. And um, later on, um, uh, you actually, um, very, very early on, you actually get a mount. So it you can, where you can ride around and you become a lot faster. And that's one of the, ways that the game actually provides you with a tool to fight this early game boss. But I think what keeps people in is the feeling of accomplishment when they run up against a wall and basically they get their butts kicked <laughs> absolutely and after getting better at the game um, they manage to beat something that they thought they was insurmountable and that's I think what keeps you know, Dark Souls players in the game. That is that feeling of accomplishment and of having mastered something that is super satisfying. Yeah, I think for people who are not as familiar with these games, they don't really know, I guess, the differences between, between, for example, Bloodborne, Sekiro and Dark Souls, right? They mm-hmm. assume that they all belong in the Soulsborne category and they all have similar gameplays, right? Um, mm-hmm, to a certain mm-hmm. extent, yes, but what you have explained to us earlier just now about the difference between Bloodborne and Elden Ring is kind of interesting. So, what was Elden Ring's playstyle? If you, if you, if you can, I guess, perhaps uh, analyze it for us. Like, do you need to be aggressive all the time, or should you be a bit more defensive? Yeah. 
I think um so you know um I guess maybe one way of putting this is so in Dark Souls a lot of people started rolling you know there, there's a, like a meme like you just keep rolling away from enemy attacks and that was like a Dark Souls thing as well as using your shield quite extensively in Bloodborne they basically upended this formula by actually removing shields from the game and the one shield that you got in Bloodborne was basically terrible basically they were telling you no. Rolling and shielding is not the way to go. We want you to be aggressive and interrupt enemy attacks. Then in Sekiro, you needed to deflect enemy attacks all the time to build up a meter where you could then um, put them in a sort of critical state and you can deal much of your damage that way. So in Elden Ring, I feel like it's almost like the best hits kind of compendium where actually there's no one playstyle all these playstyles, the shielding, the rolling, the interrupting enemy attacks, the deflecting, all these are actually viable in Elden Ring. And it really depends on how you build your character. I think, And, and I think that's why they provide you with uh, quite a few different starting options to start your build. I've seen YouTubers who have played a shield-only run. They literally just only use their shield throughout the whole game. I've seen YouTubers play with only magic you know and some people say oh that's like cheating mode because you're always running away and shooting the person i mean you know what uh, i mean to me it's like let people play how they want um and there are some people who you know two hand their swords some people who um, are more balanced they, they they have a range of mix than you know um, range and melee and i think that's that's that freedom which is what differentiates elden ring for from the previous titles I see. All right. Okay. Um. So, hundred and twenty-seven hours in, right? Yeah. <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts on the game? Uh, do you think that I'm sure you've read all the reviews and you know watch all the I guess video reviews, watch a lot of YouTubers play the game. Do you agree with the general consensus that this is perhaps a contender uh, for game of the year? Oh, I don't. I don't think it's a contender. I think it's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, I mean, okay, put it this way. I think, um, so, you know, when the reviews came out, it's basically, like, almost unbelievable, right? Like, how well and critically acclaimed it is. And I think there was also a corresponding backlash, right? Where, you know, when people started getting their hands on their game, um, not, not reviewers, right? No, people who don't play video games for a living, there was a quite a significant backlash on Twitter for two reasons. One, which I think is completely justified, was performance issues, especially on um, computers instead of consoles, right? And I think that's, you know what, that's fine. I understand that that breaks your immersion and it's quite very annoying. But I think the second one is that, I think for some reason, um, a lot of people thought this was going, was going to be a substantially different game in the terms of its mechanics and its feel. And they felt kind of cheated that it wasn't accessible. And so there's this huge movement. Well, I think not that huge, actually. I think there's a significant um, segment of the gaming population which really wants a quote-unquote easy game mode for for Elden Ring. You know, on, on the other hand, I actually think that... Um, I think the hype and the acclaim for Elden Ring is completely justified. You know, I, I, I think... Um, this honestly to me is one of the um I have not enjoyed a game this much since Skyrim or or maybe even Breath of the Wild. That's how good I think this game is. 
but that being said, I, I, I really do have to acknowledge that there is a significant kind of like barrier in terms of, I think, the, the mindset that you have to bring in when you play this kind of game. Yeah, that really is a steep learning curve, right? I mean, if you think about there, it. There is a steep, steep learning curve, definitely. And I think also is that, you know, I mean, you know, think of, about it. Um, We're not used to dying in games anymore. We see dying as a failure state, right? It breaks your flow, so to speak, in a game. And we're not used to dying. Even in in, 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 in other open world games, I mean, you can probably count the number of times you've died. Lah. Um, whereas in Elden Ring and the full From Soft series, you just have to accept that this is actually a part of the game's flow. Like, dying is natural. And in fact, dying in every single of the Soulsborne series has been written into the lore. It's actually canonical that you die again and again. Um, <laughs> so, so I think um, that, to me, uh, actually, when I see my friends try it, I think that's, to me, it, is the biggest obstacle, which is that they get very frustrated when they die. Um, whereas I think for me, I've sort of learned that, oh, you know, dying is normal. And in fact, sometimes I, I find it very funny when I die and I'm like, oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Nice. That, okay, I, I admit, I made that mistake. You got me good. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. I think I think to be fair, okay, from, from, from the other perspective, I think I can sort of like offer um, the casual gamer perspective to a certain extent. I think uh, based on the hype that the game got uh, even before it was released, I think um, the question that came from a lot of people was um, I think whether the game is going to be as accessible. I think because a lot of casual gamers, even casual gamers are aware of Soulsborne games and how quite, quite difficult they can be. So I think, um, and with George R. R. Martin's involvement, which I think I'm going to touch on a bit later as well, um, I think a lot of people assume that this game is going to take a slightly different direction, right? It's going to be, and because it's going to be open world, so people are assuming that it's going to be a quote-unquote more accessible game, right? And and I think maybe maybe they, they were disappointed that, yeah, the game is still a Soulsborne game, essentially. Uh, I said that it's, <laughs> yeah. it's different, right? Um, and which I think is, is fair. It's just that I think uh, people need to perhaps change their expectation in order to, to I guess, give the game a try, right? For, for me personally, it's also about recognizing the game for what it is and knowing that, okay, perhaps this is a game that is that kind of game that, that you have to somehow, I guess, put your time into it and, I guess, accept it for what it is and, I guess, work towards it. Because I think, um, and, and this is something that I also would like to get your opinion on. I think, um, because, because I thought about it and I feel like um, the reason why the game has been getting a lot of praise, and this is something you have mentioned earlier as well, um, um, is that because the people who are reviewing these games are also... Full-time gamers, one way or yeah, another. Yeah, like, whether, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, and therefore, they, they're used to, and they understand the concept of, you know, how different games can be sometimes, right? You know, you have you have your easily accessible popular games, you have your Battle Royale, you have your, a lot of different genres of games, but you also have games that are, quote-unquote, quite traditional in in, in, in in a sense of, like, you know, how difficult they can be, right? So, I think, Maybe there's also that as well, to a certain extent. What, what do you think? Like the fact that there is, I won't say a disconnect, but it's just different worldview or different context when it comes to games. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, um, you know, I think um, to be fair to FromSoft, they, they never pretended they, would, they weren't making a Soulsborne game. <laughs> they were like very explicit. This is a Soulsborne game, guys. We're not, we're not changing what we're good at, right? Um, I think, um, 
I think it's more the popularity of the game that got I think got a lot of people basically you know FOMO fear of missing out and they want to try it right and they're disappointed when they're like no it's, it's like the same and to the fans they're like yeah that's exactly what we wanted we wanted the science kind of like very tight mechanics the sort of unforgiving nature of the game um, that kind of sense of mastery when you actually learn enemy patterns they wanted that um, and I, I think, um, you know, uh, I mean, game difficulty is a huge uh, debate, um, but there are different, I think there's different ways of designing game difficulty beyond like, say, having a quote unquote easy mode, right? So, you know, for example, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, most games were notoriously difficult, you know, like Mario was very, very difficult as a game. Like Pac-Man is basically unbeatable, right? Um, so this is not a new thing. In fact, I would say it's a very old thing. Uh, and in fact, I think in recent years, a lot of indie games have have basically gone back to this idea that oh no, we sh- it should be difficult. Um, and there are different ways of designing accessibility or more sort of like ways of playing the game into um, the design. For example, I think um, you know like uh, some platformers have a way of you know you can slow down time a bit. For example, um. There was an indie game, Darling, last year, which is an action game called Hades from Supergiant Studios, where, I mean, you die all the time. But what they did was they made dying actually rewarding, right? Which is that every time you die, the plot progresses. So people actually look forward to dying, right? And the game has no quote-unquote easy mode uh, either. There's no difficulty sliders in in that game either. Um, So I think um, with Elden Ring, what I would say to people who are newer is that... um, don't worry too much if you're dying a lot in the early game. It's actually very normal. Um, a lot of quote-unquote veterans also died an incredible amount. But what Elden Ring provides is actually, after a while, you can figure out ways that suit your playstyle. And there are ways of... There are very, very powerful weapons in the game that I would say are a little bit cheesy. And basically provide a built-in easy mode so to speak mm. yeah I mean you're right to a certain extent right? I think with games introducing um, not only easy mode like story mode even sometimes you know mm. there's a story mode where for people who just want to like, I guess experience the story of the game rather than yeah. I guess focusing on or getting frustrated with with how difficult yeah. you know certain bosses or certain uh, moments can be right so so and, and, and to a certain extent even that also has also been I guess one way or another introduced as part of the accessibility features. I know. Mm-hmm, I think if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, um, another game that was released recently is called Sifu. I'm not sure whether you've heard of. Oh that yes, game. yes. Yeah, that game is also quite difficult, and and because of that, uh, I think they're gonna introduce uh, quote unquote uh, uh, an easier difficulty, but they're gonna pack it under accessibility mode rather than you know like a, a difficulty feature because the game is not supposed to have a difficulty feature, right? And the word accessibility is is fluid, right? It can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So maybe an easy mode is also can be perceived as you know an accessibility feature yeah, for, for gamers yeah. who want who want to just I guess breeze through a game one way or another, right? But in the case of Elden Ring, I think it's 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 about recognizing that hey, you know, we never said that we, we we're gonna make the game, you know, easier or whatnot. For this everyone. Is, <laughs> yeah, this is this is um from software being unapologetically from software, right? And and I think we we need to somehow I guess recognize that. Um but yeah uh, before we end this conversation, I would like to just know know about um, George R. R. Martin's involvement in the game. Um, you've played enough of the game to be able to, I guess, experience 
you know the story part of the game which i think that's why that's the reason why josh r r martin was brought in um how influential was his i guess uh involvement in in the game uh, based on based on what you've i guess seen so far yeah i mean um you know um i think from software has clarified um jr martin's uh, involvement in the game which is that he's not so much writing like quest lines and you know specific plot lines but he basically built the world and, and sort of like its underlying foundational mythology and basically, you know, the who's who of the demigods, right? The pantheon that was in this world. So I would say a lot of his contribution is in kind of the world that we inhabit in Elden Ring. So for example, like, you know, the the whole, how the map is organized, um, how, you know, there are, distinct geographies with distinct factions which have, you know, their own banner. They, you know, some hang a bloody tree. Some have uh, a golden lion and they're all warring. This is a this is a land of war and, and kind of a war of succession, so to speak, over who gets to become the Elden Lord, right? So I feel like those kind of like flavor and those kind of plot lines are very much like in line of you can say it's that's very much very familiar to the kind of setting of Game of Thrones. Um, I think um, you can see that very, very clearly because uh, you know previous from Softwing games were very tight, right? They they did tell a kind of like epic story, um, but they were quite tight with their cast of characters and kind of different um, factions in place. But Elden Ring is just you know, it's like epic history writ large, right? What I think of when I see sort of like endless battlefields where bodies are strewn across, like for as far as the eye can see, it's like very much like War of the Roses, you know, the the Hundred Year War between England and France. And I think that's also where, you know, Johara Martin drew a lot from. And then there's an obsession with trees and dragons in this particular <laughs> game. And I feel like that's also a very um, GRRM thing with the weirwood trees and, you know, the dragons. Um, so you can definitely see how he's re- uh, contributed to the world at large. Um, but at the end of the day, in terms of the themes, I think it's still very much a From Software game in its themes. Um, you know, From Software games have always really been about what happens when you go against the quote-unquote natural order of things. You know, very often it's the tale, that I mean, a tragic tale of someone who isn't willing to let go, isn't willing to die, or is looking for some way of immortality or preserving their legacy. And in so doing, they they basically, you know, destroy the world and, and cause consequences along the way. And I think Elden Ring is very much in that vein as well, So as far as you can see so far. Mm, all right. Okay. So I I guess you already said earlier that you you think that this is game of the year. No question. Well, you know it's it's early on in the year. You never know. You never know. But I think um you know in I would say like in the past say five years. Not I mean basically I would say not since Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, this is on that scale in terms of this game is on the scale of Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, or Skyrim before that. 
All right. Okay. So, uh, before I let you go, uh, maybe uh, can can you give a bit of tips for uh, beginners of not only I guess the game but also the series. Like for example, like is there a specific class that you can choose to start the game with that's more I guess friendly for for beginners? And you know what should they look out for in terms of uh, I guess getting used to to the the game and the environment? Yeah, I think um, the most important advice I can give is not so much in terms of how to play the game, but how to think of the game. Um, which is that I think one is if you come up against an obstacle, you know, you don't have to keep bashing your head against it. It's an open world. Go go do something else. Go fight something else. Gain more experience. Learn more about the mechanics of the game. Um, secondly, is I'll advise people to play online um, because actually um, the whole there's a whole message system in the game where other players can leave messages for... Um, other players in the game and actually that's very very helpful and it helps make the field world, world which can be very intimidating feel less alone and I think the third thing and I think this is probably the most important thing is that you know we've gotten used to not quote unquote failing in games and the thing about Elden Ring and about the old Soulsborne series is like you failing quote unquote you dying is actually a canonical part of the lore um, and you know, dying is just part of the game flow and you can expect to die no matter how good you are at the game. I've seen so many YouTubers who literally play Soulsborne for a living and they die all the time. And when I see them die and the way they die sometimes, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm not that bad. They die to very dumb mistakes sometimes. And the the thing about the FromSoft games is when you die, you're like, yep, you know what? I deserve that. I was not paying attention. That's why I died. <laughs> yeah, and to just accept that, you know, you're going to screw up sometimes and that's okay. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and that was Onka Jin sharing his thoughts, impressions and tips for Elden Ring from Software's latest brainchild that's a contender for Game of the Year according to many. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.